excellent day for an exorcism. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. Hey there everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 114, and today, I'm, I tell you what, this movie is one of those movies where it is actually a little bit uncomfortable to watch, and I'll tell you why that is in just a moment. This movie is um, one of those movies that I was, I had really avoided because I didn't really think that this was going to be a movie that I would really enjoy, but I was listening to another podcast, and I happened to hear they're, they're talking about this, and I'm like you know what, I'm actually really intrigued to go and have a look at it. So I did, I found it on Netflix. Luckily, I've it's un, it's only available, unfortunately, until the 15th of May. So I managed to sit down and watch it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's considered a horror movie. I do understand that. And there isn't a lot of huge you know, gushes of blood and gore and all that sort of stuff. It is an uncomfortable movie. It's a very politically uncomfortable movie to watch and the reason that I say that is because it deals with the whole thing of the age-old slavery with regards to you know um, white privilege and African-American uh, people being in servitude. What movie am I talking about? I'm talking about the movie that was released on January 23rd 2017. It is the movie Get Out and as I said, it's a cult, it's one of those movies where you watch it and you sit there and go, yeah, there is something really wrong with this movie. You can't put your finger on it. I mean, you know, you'll see it as you go along. And there is, before I get started, there is a shit ton of huge spoilers in this movie. So you, if you've never seen this movie, first of all, I thoroughly, absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt, recommend you go and watch this movie. It is a great psychological horror movie. It's more psychological, it's, it's, it's more... Uh, very, it gets under your skin, and it's very much in the same realm of. Um, there's a movie by with uh, Kate Hudson that was called The Skeleton Key. It's very much along those sort of lines as well. So it's it's yeah, you know, it's got that sort of premise in it, but this one is very uncomfortable because it's politically incorrect. Um, and as I said, it really comes down to the fact that there is a lot of African American people that are under servitude of white people, and also for the fact that this whole thing is being directed at the African American community. Now, I when I was at school, I studied American history. I got very good marks in, in school, so I'm actually happy to say that I was not one of these um, people that would sit there and go, oh, I know a little bit about what TV or movies show me, but, you know, that's all I want to know. I was actually really interested in, di you know, diving into the history of American history, I should say. And uh, as I said, I got great grades from it because I was very interested in this. So when I saw this movie, I'm like, wow, that's really... That's very, very close to being, I mean, it is politically incorrect because it really does, it really does go on the very, very close border of this should not be a movie that white people should watch. But, you know, in, in saying that, though, as I said, I, I'm very glad to have watched this movie and I thoroughly recommend this to anybody um, to watch. Now, this movie, as I said, was released on January 23rd, 2017. It runs for 104 minutes. Now, there's not going to be one part of that movie that you're going to sit there and go, so 104 minutes, it's where to stand still. Is anything going to happen? It really keeps you engaged and it keeps you going. And as we go along, it makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, there are certain things you just want to look away from because it's just not... I don't know. It's, it's almost like looking through a pane of glass into a scene that you shouldn't be watching. But I think, really, in all honesty... 
white people should actually sit down and watch this movie because it's, it's very um, it's very eye-opening. So I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It was released, as I said, on the 24th of February 2017. It was released on the 23rd of January 2017 at Sundance. And then obviously in February it was released, you know, uh, America-wide. Now, the budget of this movie was absolutely amazing. The budget of this movie was $4.5 million. And it took, at the box office... 255.4 million so if if you say that this did well it did an absolutely bang up job i mean it was absolutely amazing the rotten tomato score on this one is 7.7 .7 out of 10 so that's a a very very good showing that this movie is one of those movies that a lot of people were very very happy to go and see and very interested in going to see now it should also be noted that Jordan Peele who happens to be the director actually won the Academy Awards for the best original screenplay at the 90th annual Academy Awards that is absolutely phenomenal with also additional nominations for best picture best director and best actor it also earned five nominations at the 23rd Critics Choice Awards two at the 75th Golden Globe Award and two at the 71st British Academy Film Awards so so um, it is absolutely amazing. The Get Out has been cited by critics as one of the best films of the 2010s and the 21st century. And I would definitely say I go along with that one. It is an, it's a remarkable movie. It's one of those movies that you'll really go away and really think about. As I said, it's a horror movie, but it's not a horror movie in the traditional sense. Yes, there's a couple scenes of blood and guts, um, but not to the extent that we're all used to in the horror community. So look, I don't want to oversell this movie because you'll sit there and go, why don't I should I even watch it? You should really, you should actually go and watch it. It's amazing. But if you do go and watch it before you listen to this podcast, um, which you should because I'm going to spoil the hell out of the movie, please go and do it now. But you've got to come back to the podcast because I can't have you guys walking away from me and not coming back to see me. <laughs> but look, before we get started on this podcast, remember I've got um, Facebook at Horror Crypt Podcast. I've also got the Horror Crypt Cafe and I'm at Horror Crypt 2022 at gmail.com if you want to send me ideas or suggestions of movies that I might like to watch and I will give you a shout out. Before we get started on this podcast though we need to listen to the trailer so sit back and relax because here is the trailer to get out. You got your toothbrush? Sure. Do you have your deodorant? Sure. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked, but he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bruh. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. in front of my daughter. I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see another brother around here. 
Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! <laughs> Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Sink. <laughs> Terrible thing to waste. Terrible thing to waste. If there's too many white people, I get So one thing that I really do like about this movie is that it starts off in a very cold open. What I'm saying that, um, you know, we usually see that there's the 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 trail like the titles and stuff like that, and then we slowly get into the movie. With this movie in the opening scene, we see a young black guy named by the name of uh, Andre. Now when I say black guy, black man, I apologize. A young uh, African American man named Andre, and he's walking along a, a street, just a normal suburban street that you'd see, and it's perfectly manicured, looking beautiful. And of course, as he's walking along, he's on the phone talking to somebody. Now he's trying to find the directions to this house, but he's he, he's obviously he's lost. I mean, he just doesn't know where the hell he is. And you see this white sports car pull up and start following him, like like tracking him, like very very slowly. And Andre gets very spooked and says, "Oh, yeah, fuck this shit. I'm not going to worry about this," and decides to change direction. Direction. And as he stops and he walks away, he basically walks back the way he came, he turns around to see what the car did, and the car he sees is parked where it was, but the the, the door is open. And he's like standing there looking at this this car going, Okay, well so it's a sports car, the car's the like the engine's running, the door's open, where the hell's the driver? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we see a man in a medieval uh, helmet attack uh, Andre, rendering him unconscious and drags him, his body into the car. Then we see the opening credits by the, and it just says, you know, get out. And we see him drive away. So it's like, oh, holy shit. You know, I mean, this is a cold open that you really don't know what the hell is going on. We now see that there is this woman and she's at a pastry shop and we also see that there's this guy and he's getting himself ready in in this apartment. And we see that this woman knocks on her apartment door and we see that this this, um, this couple by the name of Rose and her boyfriend Chris, um, they're getting ready to go away for the weekend to visit, visit her family. And he's very, very concerned that they don't know that she's dating a black guy. And it's like, you know, and she's like, well, should I tell them that I'm dating a black man? It it doesn't really matter. You know, our, my mother and father are not racist, so it doesn't matter. And he's like, yeah, but it's maybe it's something that you should have maybe told them before we go up there, not to startle them. And she's like, well, it doesn't really matter anyway, because even if you are or you're not, you're my boyfriend, I'm going up there and it's, you know, no dramas. But she assures him that, you know, while they'll probably say some stupid things, they're a very progressive family, so it really doesn't matter. And he sure says that her dad would have even voted for Obama a third time if he could have. And I don't know whether that's supposed to really put Chris's mind at ease. I, I don't know. It's a really strange sort of comment. Now, as I said, this movie, I'm going to spoil the hell out of it. So... You know, if you have been interested in watching this or you were thinking that you might want to watch this, but you're sort of on the fence, please 
go and watch it. It's awesome. I don't want to spoil it for you because I am going to spoil the hell out of this movie as I go along. And I really don't want to do that for people that have never seen this movie. So if you're intrigued, if you're interested about this, please go and watch it. So, of course, Chris asks if, if he's the only black guy that she's ever dated. And, he, and she says he is. You know, it's like, yes, you're the only black man that I've ever dated. But, you know, she's confident that her, t- her parents will be totally cool about this situation. So as we're going, you know, we're now in the car and we're driving up and as we can see that Chris is a smoker and he goes to you know, get a cigarette, but of course Rose takes it and throws it out the window, warning that her parents would hate that if she dates a smoker. And it's like, uh, uh, okay. So we really see that, that Chris is almost like under the thumb, like, and he hasn't even lit it up yet. He literally goes to, you know, goes to, to grab it, uh, you know, and just, and, you know, have a relaxing cigarette on the way out there and she just goes nope not happening grab it throw it out the window you're not having that you know if you if my mother thinks or my mother and father think you're having you know you're a smoker there's gonna be a whole lot of problems so please don't do that you know and it's, it's almost like well you should take me for who i am not who i'm supposed to be i mean if we're going up there for the weekend in a smoker and i've never been one so i don't know but i'm sure the cravings are pretty intense i don't think you're going to be able to hide it for very for very long so, of course, Chris decides, no, all right, fair enough, I won't smoke, but I'll call my friend Rod. And Rod's a TSA agent at the local airport, and he reminds him, you know, could you take, just take care of my dog? I'm going to be away for a weekend, and, you know, please go and, and feed him. And he's very, very relaxed, you know, and he said, yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's like, don't feed him people food. <laughs> my dog does not eat people food, although we do give him treats every now and again. But he eats dog food, so dogs should eat dog food. Cats should be eat cat food, and people should eat people food. But um, we also see that uh, you know Rod's not very approving of Chris dating a white woman, and berates him and says that he's you know, visiting the white folks is a bad idea. <laughs> it's almost like, man, you're going away. You know, you're going to be doing all this stuff. You're on road trips. This is a pretty serious relationship. But I really am not comfortable with you dating a white woman. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, but once again, it's it's the role reversal. It's like, well, okay, so you know he's you know his friend's not comfortable about chris dating a white woman and then there's chris worried about well how's your parents going to go you know knowing that you're dating a black man it's very very it's it's one of those borderline sort of scenarios is you know but I've, it also thinks that maybe um you know because you know he's also flirted a bit with rose and rose thinks that he that it's sweet when chris gets a bit jealous you know about you know just keep your hands off sort of situation but while they're in deep conversation not entirely a paid paying attention to the road a deer darts out in front of the car and, and is hit and of course so they have to pull over to investigate and they call the police and when they do put, call over the police the, the police officer almost berates them a little bit but also becomes very very um judgmental and very racist towards this thing and i like the fact that rose stands up for chris in this instance so in the future the number to call is animal control services yes sorry about that it's just so you guys uh, coming up from the city? Yeah, yeah. My parents are from the Lake Ponico area. We're just heading up there for the weekend. Mm. Sir, can I see your license, please? Wait, why? Yeah, I have state ID. No, no, no. He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Yeah, why? That doesn't make any sense. Here. No, no, no. Fuck that. You don't have to give him your ID because you haven't done anything wrong. Maybe baby is okay. Come on. Anytime there is an incident, we have every right to That's ask. Bullshit. Ma'am, the... Everything all right, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. 
that headlight fixed. And that mirror. Thank you, officer. I really do love Rose in this situation because it is true, you know, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever that the officer should actually ask for Chris's ID. I mean, Chris was very forthcoming. He was not belligerent. He was not aggressive. He was like, yeah, okay, no worries. I can, you know, give you the state ID. That's fine. That's all I've got on me. But, you know, and Rose, as as she, you heard, you know, Rose says, yeah, fuck that. You weren't driving. You got no reason to give him your license, you know. And I love it how when he goes to talk to Rose about the fact that he's got every right, Rose gives him these dagger eyes, you know, like she is almost ready to jump over and kill him. So, you know, he really has to sit there and take heed of what he's saying. But I really do like the fact that Rose is standing up for, for Chris. And as they do drive away, you know, um, Chris does tell Rose that it was it was hot the way that she stood up for him against this racist police officer. And he really is. He was racist because... You know, just because you see an African-American man standing there doesn't mean that if there was an accident, he was the one that was driving. And Rose, as I said, was very forthcoming and said, hang on a minute, I was driving, you know, and I love how Rose says, you know, well, yeah, absolutely. No one's going to fuck with my man sort of situation. So she is really lovely as far as, you know, standing up for Chris. And I really do like that about this this part of the movie. But it really does show you that there's racism everywhere and, it, and it's starting to creep in into this movie you know so we do, we've got Chris and Rose and they arrive at the parents house and her father Dean Armitage is a very very uh, well-known neurosurgeon who tells who tells Chris that he's a you know he's, he's a hugger and he you know come and give me a hug you know welcome to the you know welcome here and the mother gives him a hug but as, he, as they're driving in they see um, an African-American gardener and you know he's very very forthcoming very nice waves very politely and as they pull up to the house we also see that there is a African-American maid and uh, we do see that you know they they start to get settled in the in the you know in the house and the mother and father talks backwards and forwards to Chris and you know Rose about you know how long has this been going on and 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 this is where Rose says listen you know I think we should go upstairs and unpack and unwind and get that sort of stuff and of course you know Dean's like you know how, how about the tour you know we you gotta you you can't you know just you know do that how about we go and have a bit of a tour first Chris so Chris you know he's like yeah absolutely no problem so. You know, Dean starts taking him around the house and starts showing him, you know, pictures of the family and that sort of stuff. But as they start walking out into the back garden, it really does come down to, well, you know, Dean has to explain himself in this situation to Chris. I know what you're thinking. What? Come on, I get it. White family, black servants, it's a... Total cliche. I wasn't going to take you there. Well, you didn't have to, believe me. <laughs> no, uh, we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I just, I, I, I couldn't bear to let them go. I mean, boy, I hate the way it looks. Yeah, I know what you mean. By the way, I, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. Best president in my lifetime, hands down. I agree. Yeah. Now, I did say that, you know, Dean has to explain himself, but he doesn't have to explain himself at all. If he chooses to have black servants, that's his business. But, you know, I, there is a very, very interesting part of the movie that he says that, you know, he, he's got the, the two housekeepers, he's got, you know, Walter 
and he's got Georgina and, you know, I understand the way it looks, but, and he does say that, you know, when, and is is you've got to be very, very quick when you listen to it because he's saying that, you know, he, you know, got these two people to come over and help him care for his parents. But when they passed away, he just couldn't let them go. Keep that in mind, them go. So it's like, are we, you know, are we going to be, you know, concerned about keeping the you know the the black servants on and the black house the housekeeper and the and the um this the gardener on or what's going so just remember the the you know them go but it's also really interesting that as we're sitting out in the garden we've we're having a bit of a conversation and there is dean saying that missy um the mother is uh, a very good hypnosis uh, person and that you know if you want to get cured of the nicotine addiction she can certainly help through hypnosis but of course chris doesn't feel very cool with people tooling around in his head we also see now that um georgina comes over with a pitcher of iced tea for the people sitting so we really just you know we've got rose we've got chris we've got missy we've got dean and she comes over and she's just you know pouring uh, pouring the drinks away but all of a sudden you sort of like you look at georgina and she sort of like turns from she has like it's almost like a, a quick turn um and what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say with the quick turn is that she sort of like zones out for a moment, and she continuously, you know, pours um, Chris's drink. Then all of a sudden, she's almost like snapped back into reality, and she's like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry." And of course, this is when Missy goes, "Look, you know, that's okay. How about you just go and you know go and have a bit of a rest?" And she's like, "Yes, yes, yeah, I, th- I think I will." So you know, we do see that she, um, you know, goes goes walk, you know, goes for a walk off and goes to relax. Now, very one very important thing that you'll come to realize later in the movie is that Missy is just drinking a cup of tea, and she is just continuously stirring this cup of tea. So it is super important later, but she's just continuously stirring the cup of tea, and then she taps her spoon three times. So just keep that in mind. It's it's you know very very important. So the Armitage uh, family, you know, mother and father, tell Rose that they're having a big uh, the big party tomorrow, and she's surprised that they reminded her that it's the same day every year. And of course, Rose's brother Jeremy arrives, and he's a very aggressive, spoiled, rich kid. And he really is, you know, he is. When he's talking that night at, at dinner, they're talking to. Uh, he's talking to um, Chris about MMA fighting and saying that Chris would be a natural. And it becomes, you know, it, it becomes very clear that he's interested in doing a little bit more than just talking he wants to you know basically roughhouse with chris and it's like you know but as chris says you know he's got a rule about play fighting when people are drunk and uh you know as he as he goes to go towards chris you know this is when dean and missy sort of like look 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 at uh, jeremy as if to say sit down and this is when jeremy goes it's okay I didn't bruise him. I didn't hurt him. I didn't do anything. I'm just, you know, just, you know, roughhousing. But, you know, as Chris does say, you know, I don't, I don't roughhouse, just relax. It's all good. And Dean decides that, you know, maybe it's time that Jeremy maybe <laughs> goes to bed because, you know, we're just sitting here having a, having a nice conversation. We don't really need you to screw up all over the place. So, and so this stage that Chris and Rose decide to retire to their room where she apologizes for her family and they go to sleep. So in the middle of the night, once again, you know, we've got this craving because Chris has been really good. Chris has not smoked at all, you know, so he gets up in the middle of the night and decides to sneak out for a cigarette. And while he's outside, 
he sees something very creepy in the distance, something charging at him. And this is where, and I've got in, in fun facts, there's a very, very creep. This is a very, very creepy scene. We see that Walter the gardener, he's heading straight towards Chris, but he's running at a, at a high speed. But as he goes directly towards Chris, he makes a sharp turn at the last moment and runs off in the other direction and of course uh okay of course then chris turns around and looks towards the house and inside the house georgina is staring out the window but it turns out that she's looking at her own reflection and not at chris and she's just adjusting her hair and chris decides to head back inside it's like well this is really really creeping me out this is just yeah i don't really know what the hell's going on we've got this guy running full full bore towards me and we've got another woman adjusting her hair in a window it's like what the hell is going on here so he's like ah oh, screw it i'm going back into the house so before chris can make it back to his room Missy startles him by turning on the light um, in the den and she says that smoking is a bad habit. She offers him again to help him quit and he sits but mocks the notion of hypnotism you know and basically she's saying you know oh, well, what did you think hypno hypnosis is and he's like well what you put a watch in front of my face and dangle it backwards and forwards and she goes that's not everything with regards to, to hypnosis that's that's very cliche that's not what I do at all but as we're seeing we're seeing that she is slowly hypnotizing him using her teaspoon as a focus object now she's stirring her cup of tea and uh, she decides to ask Chris about the night that his mother died what about your mother what about her wait are we where were you when she died I don't want to think about that. Mm. Watching TV. Do you hear the TV? What do you hear? Rain. Rain. It was raining. Yeah. You hear the rain? Mm -hmm. You hear it? Find it. Tell me when you found it. Come here, Chris. Look at me. <laughs> found it. Where was your mom?
Now, Chris was 11 years old when this whole thing happened. And as, as it said, you know, he's watching TV and he's watching this whole thing. And, you know, that he wasn't going to call the police. He just sat there watching TV, uh, TV nervously digging his nails into the bedpost. So the present day Chris is doing the same thing. He's sitting in this chair and he's digging his nails into the arm of the chair. And this this whole thing, this, this continuously stirring of the of the teacup is, beca is becoming very, very apparent that it's just, you know, you now see that instead of dangling a watch in front of your face, this continuous stirring of the coffee cup is now paralyzing you and and making you go into hypnosis and chris is really he's struggling i mean he didn't want to go through this this whole thing at all and, and it's almost like well this is goes against the ethics of what a hypnotist would do or what a, a mental therapist person would do and and i understand that this movie is taking you to a point of a lot of uncomfortable situations and I understand for this movie it has to take you there because without getting there you're not going to know what the the end result is but he's sitting there and he's trying to explain and you know she does really start to become very um accusatory of him saying you know you didn't do anything like you know there is your mother and she's dying and you're sitting there watching tv you would didn't even decide to call 911 you didn't decide to go look for her you just sat there i mean okay hey an 11 year old what are you going to do i mean seriously it's raining outside are you literally going to get up and go for it who, who would know where the hell to even begin to start looking for it so sitting there is not you know it's not your fault don't accuse this poor person of sitting there waiting for his mother to arrive home as she do, did every night when she came home from work so this continuous stirring is getting more and more intense with Chris trying to get out of this situation but really Missy is now pretty much in you know encased in his mind and she is really leading him to a very very um a very uncomfortable very terrifying space you're so scared <laughs> you think it was your fault how do you feel now terrifying things about this whole incident is that when she says sink into the floor sink he his 11 year old chris his 11 year old self sinks into his bed while the present day chris sinks into blackness now this is where the screen and i was watching this movie going hang on a minute what's wrong with the screen because it's getting very 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 small and you see chris continuously falling into blackness into nothing but above him, you can see that the screen is getting smaller. So it's almost like the TV that he was watching when he was 11 is the way that he now sees Missy. And Missy is far above him. And of course, his consciousness has left his body, which is paralyzed in the chair. So really now, Chris has now sunk completely away from Missy. And you see that Missy gets up and she you know, places her coffee or her teacup down and looks directly towards Chris. Now you can see that you know she is 
far away from him. He is literally now floating in nothingness. I mean, he's just in blackness. And he's looking towards her, and he's looking up towards her, and now she's looking down towards him. And this is where it's it's extremely uncomfortable in this situation because he's now trapped in this blackness of nothing, and he's he just doesn't know what the hell's going on. And this is where she explains to him exactly what's going on. So it's at this stage that suddenly we see that Chris wakes up in the morning and he checks his phone. First of all, he just wakes up startling, you know, he just doesn't know what the hell happened. And uh, But he sees his phone and he sees that Rod has sent him a, uh, a picture of him pretending to give his dog a beer, <laughs> which is really quite cool. And of course, his battery's low and it's like, well, hang on a minute, I plugged that, that you know, the battery, the, the phone into the charger last night, so I don't know why that is. So he puts it back in and... Um, Chris tells Rose that he thinks that maybe her mum might have hypnotised him last night, but he, he has vague recollections of the evening, but really not 100% sure about what the hell went on. And she's like, oh my God, I am so sorry if she did that. I don't, I didn't tell her to do that. She shouldn't do that without your permission, whatever. So, you know, she's very, very sympathetic. And I do like Rose about this, that she is sympathetic to the situation but then of course we look out the window and we see the the armitage's wealthy friends start arriving for the big party and it's mostly older white people who say very inappropriate things to chris uh, like how good his build is and you know um because tiger woods golf uh, golfs he must be a good swing too and uh there's a woman that comes over and and grabs a hold of chris's arm and it's like fills his muscle and then says to um rose so um, tell me, is it uh, true? And she goes, oh, is what true? And he goes, she said, is it better? Which basically means our black guy's better in bed. <laughs> so um, this is where we basically see that Chris walks off and he finds a, a blind man by the name of Jim Hudson. And Jim is a very, very um, uh, well-known um, art dealer. And he starts to have a conversation with Chris. Ignorance. Oh, all of them. They mean well, but they have no idea what real people go through. Jim Hudson. Chris. I know who you are. I am an admirer of your work. You have a great eye. Wait. Jim Hudson? Hudson Galleries? Believe me, the irony of being a blind art dealer isn't lost on me. How'd you do it? My assistant. Describes the work to me in great detail. You've got something. The images you capture so brutal, so melancholic. It's powerful stuff, I think. Thank you. Hmm. Used to dabble myself. Wilderness, mostly. I submitted to Nat Geo 14 times before realizing I didn't have the eye. I began dealing, then of course my vision went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Life can be a sick joke. One day you're developing prints in the dark room, and the next day you wake up in the dark. Genetic disease. Shit ain't fair, man. Oh, you got that right. Shit ain't fair. 
So, of course, Chris then goes and excuses himself from the conversation. He goes back to mingling with the other guests and he discovers there's another African-American man there. And he's about Chris's age and Chris tries to bond with him, but he's way too stiff and unnatural, just like Walter and Georgina. But something about him seems very familiar to Chris. And if you've got a sharp eye, you might find that we'll notice that this is Andre from the opening scene that was snatched off the street. So keep that in mind. So... As we go to see, um, Chris goes for a, a little bit of a walk through the uh, the grounds and he comes up to, once again, Walter, who is doing some chopping of some wood around the back of the house. And this is where Chris decides, listen, I'm going to go and actually speak to him because I really wasn't introduced to him when I first got here. And, you know, just try and just try to be friendly. What's up, man? You're working you good out here, huh? I don't want to be doing. Yeah. I didn't get to meet you actually up close. I'm Chris. I know who you are. She is lovely, isn't she? Rose? Yes, she is. One of a kind. Top of the line. A real doggone keeper. I didn't mean to scare you. Yeah. Yeah. And did it work? It will work. You were in Mrs. Armitage's office for quite some time. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess I had too much of that wine last night. I can't really remember. So. <laughs> well, I should get back to work and mind my own business. Of course, it's at this stage that Chris realizes, holy crap, I actually haven't been wanting a cigarette at all. But this is where it becomes very, very creepy because we've got some guests that are inside the house and that are mingling outside the house. But we see Chris coming in. He's got his camera with him. And as he goes to walk upstairs, he's, he's halfway up the stairs. Everyone on the ground floor stops the conversation and basically listens to him walking up the stairs. So I was like, oh, my God, this is getting absolutely creepy. But we go into Chris's room and he decides he wants to check in with Rod again. Again, but he finds that once again his phone has been unplugged so I was like oh Jesus so he plugs it in and he calls Rod and he tells him everything everything that's going on and I love that Rod is very much you know wary of white people and saying that white people love to have sex slaves and he needs to get out of there so uh, Rose finds Chris and he tells her how weird thing everything weird everything's going you know like the really weird stuff that's going on you know he's got the you know this person that is you know, talking about, sorry that I ran at you like a mad person. And, you know, we've got people saying, is is it better with a black guy? Or, you know, because of Tiger Woods, you know, I must be a great golfer. And so it really, everything's getting very, very weird. And that his phone was, again, unplugged. And she tells him that, you know, he's just being paranoid because he's in a very uncomfortable situation. And uncomfortable is right. I mean, this is a very uncomfortable situation. But, you know, he says, yeah, I am. But, you know, and of course, she, she's, he goes, well, listen, I'm going to stay up here for a bit. And of course, she leaves. So Rod tells Chris to 
you know, she, he rings Rod and he's talking to him backwards and forwards. And he says, well, listen, take a picture of the black guy that's there and see if I can remember him. Because, you know, I know a lot of people in the neighborhood. So as Chris is about to leave, he's blocked by Georgina, who apologizes for unplugging his phone because uh, she was you know, dusting and she lifted it up from the nightstand and it became unplugged and she didn't want to mess with it any further. And she says that it, uh, he says that it's fine. And that she didn't mean to, you know, he didn't mean to rat her out. And she's like, rat her out? And he goes, um, you know, didn't mean to get you in trouble. And, and of course, she comes back with tattletale. And it's like, uh, yeah, tattletale. That's a word that not many people ever use anymore. So you've got this person saying tattletale and but didn't understand ratting out or getting in trouble. So and she starts to tear up and saying that she that the Armitages, you know, treat her like family. So, you know, I, I didn't want to please don't get me into trouble. And he's like, I, I you know, I won't. So it's all it's all good. So Chris goes back outside and tries to discreetly take the um, photograph of the African-American man that's there. But unfortunately, he forgot to turn his flash off. And as soon as the phone, fla the phone flashes, the man just completely changes and his nose starts bleeding and he jumps at Chris telling him to get out, get the fuck out while you still can. And it's almost like, you know, how dare you take my photograph? And it's it's not... It's not that. We'll understand what's going on. But he is very, very aggressive. But when he does say, you know, get out while you still can, you can sort of see as we progress in the movie and as we get to the end of the movie, exactly why he's trying to warn him to get the hell out. So Rose is very freaked out now, too. And she asks her dad what happened. And he explains that the flash just caused the man to have a seizure, but which is bullshit because even Chris knows that that was not a seizure. One of his cousins has a seizure and that is not it. So I don't know what the fuck is going on. And so, you know, he the man comes out and he apologizes for everyone to everyone for upsetting you know, everyone and says that he must return home. And of course, Chris and Rose decide to go for a walk. And, you know, Chris tells her that, He's sure he recognized the guy and that something strange is definitely going on. And she agrees by saying that it he didn't seem to be himself and it didn't seem to be that that was a seizure at all. So Chris says that he'd really like to go home. And of course, Rose reluctantly agrees, but she, she decides that she'll you know make up something to tell her parents. So they start walking, uh, or they're, they're sitting on the, the side of the, the water or a lake and they're just looking out and it's getting darker and darker. But back at the house... Dean, the father, is holding a silent auction with his guests. And as the, the camera pulls back, you see that everyone who's holding up a bingo card is, is bidding at the moment. But it, the, the camera pulls back further and we see that next to Dean is a picture of Chris. And we find out that the winner of the auction is actually Jim Hudson. He's the winner of the auction. And the other guests, unfortunately, don't win the auction and they go home. Now, it's very interesting when I saw this movie that as you see the guests coming in, a lot of them have got either breathing difficulties. The gentleman that said about the fact that he's a, you know, does Chris know how to play golf? It's because his wife says to Chris, well, you know, my husband used to be a professional golfer. He used to be on the professional scene, and but his back swing's not as the, the way it used to be. And because of his hip and he can't walk very well. You've also got another person that's saying that, that black is now in. Um, you've got, got a, a, another person that's got breathing difficulties. You've got another person that's very, very old and infirm. So you can see what's going on. And also we see that Jim is blind. So let's put two and two together and what the hell are we going to come up with? So we do see that they decide to go back to the house and the other guests are all going home and... Chris goes up to pack his belongings and gets a call from Rod, who tells him that the guy in the picture is the guy they knew 
as the name of Dre, and who he used to work at a movie theatre but went missing some weeks ago. And of course, at this stage, that the phone battery goes dead because unfortunately the phone's been unplugged again because Chris had taken it back upstairs after the photograph and had plugged it back in, and now it's been suddenly unplugged for now a third time. So as we're packing all our stuff up ready to go, Chris notices that there's a closet door in the in the uh, lounge sorry in the bedroom that's open so he looks inside and finds a box filled with old photographs of rose posed romantically with many other black guys including a woman who is now georgina so it's like okay but of course all these photographs of her with both walter and georgina who don't at all resemble the robotic versions chris has met so Apparently, Chris isn't the first black guy that Rose has ever been with. So it's like, oh, okay, now we see what's going on. So Chris decides, that's it, fuck it, we are out of here. So Chris, uh, Rose returns, and Chris says that he needs the keys um, so he can put their bags in the car. So she starts looking for them in her purse as they make their way out the door of the house. But, of course, suddenly, Jeremy appears blocking the front door, and Dean and Missy are there too. And Jeremy is, is he's basically ready to attack um, Chris is like, what the hell? But Missy and Dean tell him to calm down. And Chris keeps telling Rose to get the keys. And of course, Missy and Dean tell Chris that, you know, they don't want him to leave, you know. And Chris asks again for the keys for Rose. And he's very, very calm, saying, you know, please. And of course, she goes, you know, I'm just trying to find them. And this is when um, the father, Dean, starts to ask Chris, uh, you know, about certain things, about you know, how he feels. What is your purpose, Chris? What? In life, what is your purpose? Right now, he's it's finding those keys. Yeah. Huh. Fire. It's a reflection of our own mortality. We're born, we breathe, and we die. Rose? I'm lucky. Even the sun will die someday. But we are divine. We are the gods trapped in cocoons. Rose. I don't know where they are. Rose? Rose! Rose, give me those keys! Rose, give me, give me those keys. Rose, now! Now, the keys! Oh, 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 be careful, bro. What the fuck? I didn't do anything. What the fuck is going on? Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? So unfortunately, now Chris realizes that whatever is going on, Rose is in on it as well so he's absolutely now trapped in this situation so now we do see that jeremy attacks chris dean yells and missy clinks the teaspoon on her glass causing chris to suddenly sink back into the dark void again and he basically just falls back and of course this is when jeremy goes oh wow did you see that you know he just and of course this is when you see that chris is falling further and further back but now the screen is becoming back into the that small little TV. And we can see that they're, you know, as Missy says, you know, grab his head, grab his legs, let's bring him downstairs. It's at this stage that Rose looks towards, like, like looks at him, at Chris, and says, 
you were one of my favorites. So I was like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this whole thing has just taken a completely left turn. But this is where this movie is so, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I love about this movie. So meanwhile, Rod's still trying to call Chris, but it just keeps going straight to voicemail. And he looks up the picture of the guy in the photo and sees that he went missing some time ago. And so he decides to call the police. Of course, it, it doesn't go well because he's trying to speak to the police officer. And she even brings, you know, more police officers into the room because, they're, you know, he's talking about, you know, white folks, you know, making black people to be sex slaves and stuff like that. But nobody's listening to Rod's story. And so when he finishes, they will burst out laughing. And of course, nobody is taking him seriously at all. So really, it's now come down to Rod is the one that's going to have to, you know, find out what's going on and try and find Chris. So then Chris wakes up to find himself strapped to a chair in front of a mounted deer head in a very old TV set. It's one of those really old ones that you only know, got the wood panelling on either side and the TV in the centre. They don't make these ones anymore. And as he watches the video, um, there's a video that comes on that was made by Dean's father. And Dean's father starts talking to him about uh, immortality. Is there anything more beautiful than a sunrise? Hi, I'm Roman Armitage, and if you're watching this, you're probably wondering what's going on. There's no need to worry. Let's take a walk. You have been chosen because of the physical advantages you've enjoyed your entire lifetime. With your natural gifts and our determination, we could both be part of something greater, something perfect. procedure is a man-made miracle. Our order has been developing it for many, many years. And it wasn't until recently it was perfected by my own flesh and blood. My family and I are honored to offer it as a service to members of our group. Don't waste your strength. Don't try to fight it. You can't stop the inevitable. And who knows? Maybe one day you'll enjoy being members of the family. of course at this stage that the teacup and the spoon appear on the screen again and it's hit three times usually the uh, the, the teacup is hit by the spoon three times and chris has gone out again of course rod tries to ring chris's phone again and this time rose actually answers and she lies by saying that chris left two days ago and she's concerned about his whereabouts she claims that he left in a taxi you know or maybe an uber you know we, we don't know I don't, and it's like hang on a minute but wouldn't you think that you know you'd know what he left in? Did he did he leave in a in a cab or did he leave in an Uber? You know, but she claims that uh, he left maybe in a taxi or an Uber, and not Rod tells her that he went to the police and you know, and she seems very concerned about the whole thing. And then, of course, he starts to realise that something's wrong. So he tries to record the call. And, of course, it's at this stage that she then tells, you know, um, Rod that, 
you know, the fact is that, uh, you know, you, you've had a thing for me and I know what you're ringing for and that, you know, you and I, sh you know, you want us to be together and you want us to get rid of Chris. And, and this is when, you know, he just t tells her that, he's a, that she's a crazy bitch and hangs up on her. But he does actually say she's good, like she's good because he was trying to get some sort of information, some sort of clarification of what the hell was going on. And then that way he could then go to the police. But of course, trying to record her, it just doesn't work because she's way too far, you know, uh, ahead of this whole conversation to get, uh, you know, um, caught out by Rod. It's of course at this stage that we do see Chris back in the uh, back in the, the the basement, and he is slowly coming around. And this is when the screen, the the TV screen, pops open again. And this time we see that actually Jim Hudson is sitting on the screen, and he wants to talk to Chris. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Hey, Chris. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> you can answer if there's an intercom in the room. Wait, wait, where's, where's Rose? Oh, you dirty dog. Now, you're one of the lucky ones, trust me. Jeremy's wrangling method sounds way less pleasant. I'm supposed to answer any... Uh, outstanding questions, uh, concerns you may have so far. Apparently, our common understanding of the process has a positive impact on the success rate of the procedure. <laughs> you could give a shit, right? Okay. Just let, let me just tell you what it is. Phase one was the hypnotism. That's how they sedate you. Phase two is, is this. Mental preparation. It's basically a psychological pre-op. Pre-op. Or phase three. The transplantation. Well, partial, actually. The piece of your brain connected to your nervous system needs to stay put, keeping those intricate connections intact. So you won't be gone. Not completely. A sliver of you will still be in there somewhere. Limited consciousness. You'll be able to see and hear what your body is doing, but your existence will be as a passenger. An audience. You'll live in a sunken place. Now you're in the sunken place. Yeah, that's, that's what she calls it. Now, I'll control the motor function, so I'll be... Me. You'll be me. Good. Good. You got it quick. Good on you. This is crazy. 
cam done. Is this terrifying or what? I mean, this is probably the most terrifying thing you could actually hear of. So now we do see the uh, coffee cup comes back onto the TV and ting ting, the teaspoon hits the cup and Chris is out again. So Dean and Jeremy start preparing uh, Jim Hudson for the brain transplant. And Dean tells Jeremy to go get Chris because Jeremy goes down the hall and we now see that we're in the basement of the house and finds Chris unconscious. He takes off the restraints and gets his IV ready, except Chris was not unconscious after all. He'd stuffed padding from the chair in his ears to block the sound of the teaspoon, and he knocks Jeremy out with a croquet ball. So I was like, oh, right. And, you know, as this stage, you think, holy crap, he's dead because there's just blood coming out of his head. Because Dean goes to call for Jeremy and goes out of the lab area to look for him. And, of course, it's this stage that Chris rushes him and impales him with the deer antlers from the other room. Of course, he knocks over a candle that ignites the uh, the blankets covering uh, Jim Hudson too. So now we see that Jim Hudson is now being burnt alive. So, and it was really interesting because when he's doing the actual um, procedure where he's taking um, Jim Hudson's, you know, uh, scalp cover off and he just basically just throws it into a bucket. So I was like, oh man, seriously? So Rose, has, Rose is upstairs and she's sitting on her bed and she's got earbuds in and she's not aware of what's going on and she's listening to music while she's Googling images of handsome looking black black men with good physiques and she starts to to um look at like basketball um uh like rookies that are coming and it's like hang on a minute these guys will leave a paper trail for god's sake so don't go that far if you're going to start hunting people again look to like social pages don't look for all-star bloody basketball players but of course chris goes upstairs and finds missy and she goes for the teacup and of course the chris beats her to it and smashes the cup and instead of she attacks him with a knife but it turns but he turns it on her and stabs her to death. So I was like, but the way she does it, she gets the knife and she plunges it towards Chris and he puts his hand up and the knife literally goes straight through his hand. And then he basically puts, you know, drags his hand down towards where she is and away we go. We've stabbed her and she's dead. So of course Jeremy's returned and we because we think to ourselves that Jeremy's already gone. So, you know, we, you know, we've got Jeremy is being knocked out in the in the basement. We've got Dean's now um, empowered by the antlers, so he's dead. Missy's dead, so all we've got to really worry about is Rose. So Chris goes to the door to unlock the door and to get out. But of course, it's at this stage that Jeremy then comes through, comes to the uh, to the front door and starts to choke um, Chris. And of course, he's putting him in like a bear, like a chokehold, I should say, and tries to actually subdue him down to get him unconscious so he, they can do the procedure. But of course. He tries it on a couple of occasions to open the door, but Jeremy kicks, kicks the door shut. On the third try, though, as Jeremy kicks the door, Chris stabs him in the, in the leg and breaks his skull with a brutal head stomp. So he literally knocks him down, and then you can see him. But you don't see the actual head stomp, but you actually can hear Chris stomping on his head and you know fracturing his skull. Of course, he runs outside and gets into Jeremy's car, and on the passenger seat is the medieval helmet from earlier that helped him uh, get that guy from off the street. So he, he he takes off and goes as he's going and he starts down the driveway, but Georgina comes into the in the frame and he hits Georgina. And the first thing he keeps saying is, don't stop, don't stop, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car, just go, just go, Chris, just go. And of course, he just can't let her lie there. He, you know, he did what his, he should have done. He goes in, grabs her, puts her into the car and continues down the driveway. And of course, this is, it's this stage that she wakes up and attacks him. And in the process, 
Her wig falls off when we can see the scar across her head from the brain transplant and they crash into a tree and she dies. Of course, Rose hears this through her earbuds. Now, it's really interesting that when he crashed, before he crashes the tree, into the tree, she says, you've ruined my family. So I was like, uh, okay, well, you know, you did say that they treat you like family. So, but there's this huge, you know, scar across the front of her head. So suddenly the rearview mirror is blown away and Rose is coming after Chris with a rifle. Of course, he begs her to stop, but she sees Georgina and refers to her as, are we ready for it? Grandma. So now we know that that is her grandmother. And of course, Rose shoots again and Mrs. Chris from out of nowhere. Walter runs past, uh, Walter runs past Rose in pursuit of Chris and Rose says, get him, Grandpa. So it's like, oh my God, this is Grandma and Grandpa. Now remember when Dean said that when they passed away, I couldn't bear to let them go, which is that when they were getting towards the end of their life, they snatched these two African-American people off the street, did the brain transference, and that is Grandma and Grandpa living their best life, as they say, in brand new bodies. But this is Grandma and Grandpa. Of course, they, they, do, you know, they, do start tackle, you know, they do start fighting. Chris and Grandpa start fighting. And of course, they wrestle on the ground and Chris takes his, his picture. And of course, the flash that comes from the camera, uh, Walter turns and asks Rose for the rifle. She gives it to him and of course, then he shoots her in the stomach before unfortunately turning the rifle on himself and committing suicide. But when he does, when he does get the flash of light from Chris's cell phone, you do see him suddenly turn from being grandpa to being the person that they abducted. So now Rose is on the ground bleeding out and she tries to reach out for the rifle. But of course, Chris bats it away. And as he bends over, Rose puts his, you know, Rose is trying to say, you know, I'm sorry, I love you. I didn't mean to do this. Now, before all this happened, Chris had rung 911 to say, I've been kidnapped, I am at this place, and I'm, you know, I'm being held hostage, please, and of course, that's when the phone goes dead again. So, Chris starts to choke Rose on the ground, but stops, because he just can't go through with that, and of course, as she's, as he's choking her, she starts to smile as, as she's being choked, because a police car pulls up, and Rose calls out weak, very weakly for help. Now, as we can sort of assume... There is an African-American man dead. There is a, a white woman shot in the stomach. There is an African-American man strangling you in, uh, like in your driveway. A police car pulls up. We don't have to put two and two together to come out with this scenario. However, it is not the police that we actually ha see. It is actually Rod stepping out of the police car from the TSA. I mean, I told you not to go in that house. you find me I'm T.S. motherfucking A we handle shit that's what we do consider this situation fucking handle course the final scenes of this movie in ends with rod driving chris away from the scene as rose lies dead in the road the screen then goes to black and that is the end of get out now i'm telling you 
On a scale of 0 to 5 buckets of blood, how do I get the last 105 minutes of my life back? To 5, it was a perfect movie and I'd watch it all over again. I am giving this... Oh man, I was thinking about this. I'll give this a 5. This was a perfect movie. This had everything. It had intrigue. It had, you know... Um, <laughs> it had terror of people running towards you, you know, out of the middle of nowhere. It had a great storyline, great actors, great... Um, casting it had everything going for it so look five out of five for this movie i thoroughly thoroughly recommend you guys going to see it i mean whether you want to buy it rent it steal it wherever you can find it please by all means watch it because it was an absolutely wonderful movie i was so thankful to watch this movie and i was so thankful to um do this as a review now before we finish up this podcast we have to do paul's fun facts Now, there is an absolute plethora of fun facts, and I'm only going to read out a handful because I really, if you guys want to re- go and read it, and by all means, I suggest, you know, I really recommend you go and do that on IMDb. They've got some great information about this movie, so I'm only going to read a handful. So in writer, co-producer, and director Jordan Peele was asked if, if Universal Pictures wanted him to do a sequel to this film. He stated, of course they have. It was the first thing they said, let's do a sequel. He goes on to say that honestly, I'm open to it. I love the project, but I don't. But sorry, but I won't do a sequel just for some kind of cash grab. If it's right, if it feels good, and I feel like I can beat the original, I'll do it. And that's really good because so many movies that we've seen that they've tried to recreate lightning in a bottle, and ten times out of ten, it doesn't work. I mean, it. I, I just can't think of any movie that has really come to the forefront that I've gone, oh my god, that's better than the original. I mean, okay, let's let's say, and this is not including remakes, you know, I mean, remakes are remakes, but if you were going to do a sequel to this movie, you'd have to, you'd have to get it pretty well spot on. Now, Chance the Rapper, I've never heard of him, but there is a guy called Chance the Rapper, was so impressed by the movie that he bought all of the movie tickets from certain Chicago movie theaters, just so people could go and see the film for free. In one of his tweets, talking about the film, he says, just pull up with an ID and enjoy the movie. And I love the fact that there are people out there that want to give back to the community and tell people and just show people just how wonderful this movie is. And he's not wrong. Due to this, due to the success of the film, Jordan Peele became the first African-American writer, producer and director to earn more than $100 million in a debut film. That is freaking awesome. I mean, that is, that that's, you know, a gold handshake right there. In the opening of the film... The opening of the film is partially inspired by the opening of Halloween 1978, which Jordan Peele described as a subversion of the perfect white neighborhood. And that's true because he's, you know, the guy in the opening of the movie is walking down and going, okay, this is just, I'm trying to be, just be cool. Just trying to be not, I'm just trying to blend in. Don't, you know, because it is a, just a typical suburban street, I guess. Director Jordan Peele asserted that the scene where Walter is running at Chris and the audience at full speed is a nod towards the power of depth in films. He cited North by Northwest 1959 as an example of this technique, stating, somebody running at you or towards you 
just creates a visceral and physical reaction for the audience. And it does because when you're actually watching this and when you get to that scene where this guy is bursting out of the darkness, running like running at full steam towards you, you suddenly get very, very uncomfortable. And for him to suddenly dart off in the other direction as he passes you is just like really, really... You know, it, it does something to you. You really have to sit and watch it to, to really understand. So Jordan Peele was inspired to write this movie by Eddie Murphy's stand-up film, Eddie Murphy Delirious, was from 1983. Murphy joked about horror films, including Poltergeist and the Amityville Horror, and asked why white people do not leave when there's a ghost in the house. Murphy joked that if a black man being shown around a beautiful uh, house heard a ghost whisper, get out, he would immediately tell his wife, too bad we can't stay, baby. <laughs> Peel repeatedly uh, repeated Murphy's joke on the DVD commentary of this film. So I, I think I've put that sound grab in, uh, in one of my episodes that you'll actually hear Eddie Murphy say that. And look, the last part of this um, fun facts for this week is known mainly for his comedic career, writer, co-producer and director, Jordan Peele's turn to the horror genre has surprised many people. He proclaimed, the reason I made the horror film is that it is my favourite genre. He went on to state, I actually started wanting to make horror thriller in an uh, and in asking myself, what would it look like? And and that's good to, to ask because, you know, you've really got to sit, sit there and say to yourself, what would it look like if I was going to go from comedy to horror? If I changed that demographic, what would my movie look like? Eventually, I got to what Get Out is, which is, in many ways, my greatest fears on film. So that really shows you that he's got the, the depth of his you know, movie knowledge and understanding from changing from comedy to horror. You know, he's really tapped into something that really brings out something very primordial in us and very, you know, very uncomfortable in that, in that regard. And as, as I said, it's really also showing you you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable in the situation that Chris has put in where he's seeing African-Americans being in the servitude of white people. So it really starts to make you feel a little uncomfortable. But look, thank you very much once again for coming to visit me, the Horror Crypt Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've loved presenting it. It was one of the, it was a great movie. I thoroughly in, enjoyed watching it. I recommend it highly for you guys to go and watch it. So in saying that, once again, thank you very much for coming to visit me at the Horror Crypt Podcast. And until next week, I'll say like I say every single week, I'll creep you later. Watching, I was watching Poltergeist last month. I got a question. Why don't white people just leave the house when there's a ghost in the house? Y'all stay in the house too fucking long. Get the fuck out of the house. Very simple. It's a ghost in the house. Get the fuck out. And not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and Poltergeist, they invited more white people over. Sitting around going, our daughter Carol Ann's in the television set. I would have been gone. If I had a daughter been down the precinct saying, look, man, uh, I went home and my fucking daughter's in the TV set and shit, so I just fucking left. Uh, 
you can have all that shit. I ain't going to back back to the motherfucker. No, I just came down so when she ain't up at school, you don't think I killed the bitch or nothing like that. But she is inside the TV set. You can have all that shit. Like it. Uh, Mr. Murphy, didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. I tried to save. I turned the channel. The shit didn't work. I got the fuck out. Leave. The kid was only six years old in the movie. They couldn't have been too attached to her. Leave.